Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Otherwise, just look at the screen, and I'm going to be quoting from the Passion Translation, TPT. I understand that's the trendy pastor's translation. So it starts off like this. This is Paul speaking. And he speaks to the Ephesian church and he says this, Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. The best for last. The most important truths for last. So Paul has written this book, this letter to the Ephesian church, and he's right at the very end, he's got this point that he wants to make. It's the most important thing that I've left until last. He goes on and he says, Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. I don't know if we can function as Christians without that supernatural infusion of supernatural life. How would we be able to function as Christians without the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us? I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 17 and a half years old. I remember it as vividly today uh, as if it happened just a few days ago. The power of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, granting us the ability to speak in a language that we've never known and to be infused with a power from on high. As individuals, we become divinely empowered by God through his Holy Spirit. He says... As a result of this, stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. This is where and this is how we stand victorious against our enemy. Knowing that we have been standing victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through us. This power of God put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be able to protect yourself as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. I love the the imagery in this next passage. It says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realm. They are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, because of the power of the enemy ranged against us, you must wear all of the armor that God provides you to protect, uh, so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. There is nothing defeatist in that passage of Scripture. A lot of people get a bit concerned when they hear talk about the devil. Oh, I don't want to talk. And they'll be a bit afraid of this. Jesus made it really clear in his earthly ministry. He said this, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. One of the things that many of us as Christians in the Western world struggle with is the fact that we actually do have a spiritual enemy ranged against us, forces that, are, that have targeted us as human beings and individuals created in the image of God. These powers of darkness are, are things that we don't think about. We don't, it's not part of our normal everyday life. And yet throughout Asia, uh, uh, Central Asia, India, Bangladesh, uh, parts of the world where they understand the power of evil spirits. 
having lived in Thailand for over 12 and a half years, there was a thing called a sampapum, which was out the front of everybody's house, where uh, offerings were made on a regular basis to appease the spirits, to give people good luck. You see, it's, it's our Western world with our logical sort of rational thinking that makes us unaware of the spiritual powers that are ranged against us. What we need to be aware of, and, and the scripture says, don't be ignorant of his devices, speaking of our enemy. And what we need to be is aware. We need to be armored up, ready to face the evil day when it comes. And in scripture it says when it comes, not if it comes. For those of you that are a little bit long in the tooth, okay, you'll know that life's not always meant to be easy and that there have been difficult times that you've had to go through. There have been some struggles that you've had to face. There have been some difficult times that you have to go through. There have been people that have been ranged against you, that have tried their best to work against you. And yet Paul says, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I know it looks like flesh and blood. You know, Aunt Mabel is sitting right there in front of you. Okay? And it looks like flesh and blood. But believe me, don't believe me, believe the scripture. We are not wrestling against Aunt Mabel. There are forces behind that situation that are using situation and people against us. And we need to be aware that the people who hate you, God loves the people that have been ranged against you as supposed enemies Jesus died for. And if Jesus loves them, we need to love them as well. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against demonic powers, evil spirits that are ranged against us. As you read the scripture, it's pretty clear that, that our struggles are real, that we're wrestling against forces of evil. The passage speaks of hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's up close and personal, if you know what I mean. Many times we feel the heat of battle. We think that these struggles, well, could it possibly be something more than flesh and blood? And that's where the scripture helps us. Paul in his teaching is also clear that our struggle is not for victory, but from victory. We are wrestling from victory. Jesus has already defeated the powers of Satan. And as a consequence, every evil spirit under his control. Jesus Christ, when he rose again from the dead, and I'll be talking about this tonight, the ultimate comeback, the ultimate comeback, coming back from death to reign powerfully in this life, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead quickens us and gives us spiritual powers and abilities beyond our natural ability. We, we cannot function as normal human beings in the world that we are surrounded by. We need to be supernaturally infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the anointing of God. It's not just for preachers to get that anointing. It's for you and every one of us that are seated here in this auditorium to know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit infusing us filling us, helping us to understand the anointing of God's spirit, that we live a supernatural kind of life. The Bible describes the enemy as having power. Make it clear, though, Jesus has overcome that power and given us authority. But the enemy that we wrestle against does have power. Defeated, judged, though not yet sentenced, roams this earth, with powers, and we need to understand what those powers are. The Bible describes these powers. The scripture says our enemy is a deceiver, a manipulator, an accuser, a slanderer, a liar, a thief, 
that he has schemes, strategies, plots and ploys that he employs against us. Our enemy does not have our best interest at heart. His goal is to destroy the image of God within you. As a master of psychology and as an expert in human nature, he knows your weaknesses. He can pinpoint your vulnerabilities, the areas of your life that are fragile. These dark forces have had millennia to hone their skills, have become expertise in the human nature and human motivation. They study us closely in an effort to discover our weak points and our points of influence. As a pastor... And that's what I am basically. I am a pastor. I pastor my own church in, London, in uh, just north of London. I see three main areas where the enemy seeks to work against us. The enemy comes to attack our mind, our heart, and our passions for Jesus and his church. So as I speak, I'm going to ask you to be very, very open to the Holy Spirit. Because as I, as I describe certain areas and parts of your life, you will begin to have revelation the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you about areas where the enemy is seeking to come against you and how you can find victory in Jesus' name. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to pray right now. Spirit of God, we ask you that illumination would come into our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that the light of your word would shine into areas of darkness and into the shadows of our life, that we would see the strategies of the enemy, that we would not be ignorant of his devices, and that we would know how to stand in the name of Jesus against these forces of evil ranged against us. Thank you, Jesus, that we have authority in you, that we have victory in you, and that our enemy, the devil, is defeated, and you reign supreme. Amen. Okay, your mind, your mind. Now listen to me very carefully. The mind is the seed of your will and your intellect. Your mind is the logical, rational part of you. Your mind plays host to your reasoning abilities. Your thoughts, it's in your mind that you play host to your silent self-talk. And we all have it. Listen carefully. It's in our mind where our memories reside. Our mind is the part of us that hosts our consciousness and develops our perceptions. It's in our mind that we imagine and are self-aware. Your mind is a spiritual entity. There is no medical book or anatomical chart that shows the doctor where your mind is. You have a brain, you have a beating heart, but there is no place that a doctor can pinpoint where your mind is. The reason is that your mind is a spiritual entity. It's your mind that the enemy seeks to attack. No wonder. What a powerful working part we have here. Here is where the enemy shoots his fiery darts. His scheme is to regurgitate cruel and hurtful memories and to organize destructive self-talk. The enemy works to cause obsessive thoughts to, to play on repeat. And it feels like sometimes it's like cockroaches working in our brain and we're trying to work out how to turn them off. This is how the enemy attacks us. He stirs up anxious thoughts. He's discovered all of our mental triggers. He takes advantage of them ruthlessly. He attacks our mind because it's such a powerful part of us. Now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you go to bed at night, your mind begins to play that destructive stress game of accusation. 
Your mind just begins to play over and over and over. And it's like, I can't sleep. I feel stressed. I'm anxious. All of a sudden, you're, you're laying in bed and you're thinking, where are the sleeping pills? I've got to get to sleep. Others, in a more destructive manner, begin to look for other things that may be able to help them to finally turn that voice off in their head. May it be alcohol or drugs or something else. But people are, are tyrannized by things that are going on in their mind. This is how the enemy comes against us. The enemy works to cause these obsessive thoughts. Thoughts of evil begin to crowd out God's voice. Thoughts of failure silence the whisper of the Holy Spirit. The enemy comes in close, too close. The fiery darts are there to contradict the word of God that you know to be true. Most destructively, we find that many of these nighttime thoughts seek to dominate our minds during our waking hours, seeking to debilitate us. Your mind is a battleground, for sure. William James, a Christian doctor and psychologist from the late 1800s, he was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, and he made this very, very profound comment. The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. The greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. Now, as a medical expert, he was merely repeating a biblical principle found in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, or in some translations, it says they are divinely empowered to pull down strongholds. We demolish arguments. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and I like this next part. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, we know how the enemy works, but we also know how God works with us. Divinely empowered weaponry that is not of this world, but has the power to pull down strongholds, to deal with the arguments that are going on in your mind, and to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. At this juncture, we need to deal with the attacks of the enemy when they come. At the beginning of the attack, many of us are suffering long-term problems because we've not gone back to the origin of the attack. And for months, maybe years, maybe even decades. We've had these recurring thoughts in our mind. And the enemy is very, very subtle in the way that he works. You know, as a pastor, um, you sometimes get these awful letters from people. You know what I'm saying? I have a little inbox. I call it stuff. That's where I put them all in, you know, just to keep me humble. And uh, I remember one that came in a number of years ago where a young man who had just come back from a school of the prophets, and uh, he came and he said, I have a word of prophecy for you. And he said to me, unless you humble yourself, God will destroy your church. I thought, well, that's really encouraging. Wonderful. Praise God. 
I didn't know that the simple gift of prophecy had such negative implications. Edification, encouragement, and comfort. That's the, the reason for the simple gift of prophecy. But it's amazing how that can stick in your brain until you humble yourself. So one of my prayers a lot is I pray, God, I just humble myself. You know, humility is something that only other people can see in you. It's not something that you see in yourself. You know what I mean? Apart from Moses, of course, who said he was the most humble man in the world. Okay? You don't normally say, I'm just so humble, but very proud of it. Do you know what I mean? It's other people say that to you. Right? It's the same with pride. Many times you can't see pride in your own situation. You have to have someone to explain it to you. And so a number of, well, actually days ago, uh, a man of God laid hands on me and began to pray and he began to prophesy and he spoke these words. He says, because of your humility, I thought, whoa. I thought, I didn't realize that that evil prophecy that this young person had shared with me was still having such an impact on my mind. It's sometimes amazing how the revelation of the word of God destroys the power of the enemy against you. It's amazing. A divinely empowered word breaks the power of the devil over your mind. Now, your mind is such a powerful part of who you are, you cannot afford for it to be compromised by the work of the enemy. We need to learn how to take captive every thought, and it becomes like a Christian discipline. Now, you know, Pastor Matt said to me, he said, you know, he goes to the gym and he's been working out, and I said, it's okay, mate, don't feel intimidated by me, I know. <laughs> you know, underneath this wonderful, beautiful coat that I'm wearing are, are guns, and I've got triceps, and I've got great traps, and whoa, you should see my chest, and, and if I could just show you my legs later on, you'll see how great they are. But you know, it's a discipline, isn't it? You go to the gym, you work out, you carry on like that. You have to eat properly. You know, it's broccoli and chicken breast. You know, it's a discipline. It's eating salad even when you don't want to eat salad. You know that you've got to deal with this. In Jesus' name, it's a discipline. So your health is part of a disciplined life. So is your thought life. You need to take this thing seriously and make it a discipline of your life to take captive every thought. We have the ability to do it in Jesus' name. Yelling and shouting at demons may make you feel good, but it gives the enemy the airtime that he desires, and it's nowhere near as effective. It's learning to choose one thought over another. The disciplining of our minds in Jesus' name is a powerful discipline for each of us to learn. Second Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Sound mind is a disciplined mind, a mind that operates with integrity. So, number two, your heart. Your heart is the seat of your affection. It's where you feel things. It's where you love. It's where you trust. It's the place you can feel the deepest hurt. Your heart. It's different from your mind. It's a key target of the enemy, though. And there's good reason for this. The enemy targets your heart because it's there in your heart which is the seat of your integrity. Once again, the enemy... If he can compromise your heart, your integrity, he's got you. He's got you. Scripture says that you can have a broken heart, a hard heart, a blinded heart, a heart blinded by darkness, 
a stony heart, a deceitful heart, or you can have a pure heart. Our daily reminder is that our feelings are not the most reliable source of truth. How many of you woke up this morning and thought to yourself, oh, it's freezing out there, it's raining and it's cold, I'm not going to church. I don't feel like today is a go-to-church day. Feelings are not the most reliable source of truth. Our feelings lie to us on a regular basis. And we need to see that and understand that our feelings are not the most reliable source of truth. Scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. The enemy wants to inflame your heart with ungodly passions. He wants to pollute your heart with feelings of anxiety, insecurity, depression, and anger. He wants to break your heart by breaking you. A young man came to me in my church one day, and he says, Oh, pastor, my girlfriend's dropped me. It's awful, isn't it, being rejected by the woman that you love. I said, it's okay, mate. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Dry your eyes. I said, how old are you? He says, 14. I said, I have a feeling, I have a word from the Lord. I think you're going to make it. I think you're going to make it through this. And, and you're going to find someone that you'll one day marry and fall in love with. And, and it's great, hey. But you know, rejection is a powerful thing. And it can cause brokenness in our heart. And that's where we need to find ourselves getting over that. He wants to harden your heart by hardening your heart to the things of God. Every church has got its critics. Huh. And you know something? For those of you who feel that you're the church critic, you're not moving in the Holy Spirit. You're not moving in an in a honest manner. You've allowed the enemy to get in so that you can be critical. Hard heart, hard to the things of God. I love it, you know. You know, the, the worship leader is there saying, come on, sing louder. And we go, no. Come and lift your hands. Nobody tells me to do what I... Why, why, why do we harden our heart to the things of God? You know, let the worship leaders lead us. Lift your hands when, you, when they're... In, sing louder when they... You know, get, I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. The enemy is an expert at causing us to take offense. Because offense is taken. I, I am amazed at how people take offense. I didn't like it when you said, oh, I don't sit at home, you know, as a pastor, as a speaker, thinking to myself, how can I offend sister so-and-so this week? What can I say that's going to offend brother so-and-so? What can I do that's going to get somebody upset today? These are not the, the motivations of the pastor's heart. We do not stand here week by week intending to, to offend people. People take offense. And the enemy loves it when we do. He purposely strategizes to fill our heart with negative, maddeningly and destructive feelings. He seeks to violate your heart with distrust, skepticism, and unbelief. The enemy knows that if he can compromise the integrity of your heart, he's got you. He knows he can influence your mental health. He can make you depressed. He can insert dark thoughts of death and suicide. It is for this reason that we are instructed in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. There it is in the scripture. Above all else. 
above all else. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. The enemy plots to make us feel alone, unworthy, unwelcomed, unloved, forgotten. You know, the enemy, he, he gets into us and he causes us to feel some of these things. Unloved and forgotten. Oh, I'm leaving this church. Well, why is that? Oh, there's just not enough love here. I have discovered that people that criticize like that are actually projecting stuff that's in their own heart. You've actually caused yourself to become unlovable. And we as the church have, dis- have tried so hard to love you and to reach out to you. And yet we're rebuffed time and time and time again. This is how the enemy works. He wants to convince you that you're condemned, guilty, shameful, and just not good enough. It's the enemy's plan to make you feel intimidated, insecure, apprehensive, fearful, and just simply overwhelmed by life. The strategy strategy of our enemy is to push dark feelings that invade our hearts. The agenda of darkness is to violate your heart with feelings of self-destruction. The enemy's tactic is to cause you to feel depressed, lonely, and forsaken. The enemy stirs up our anger, tempts us into offense, and causes us to feel aggrieved when we are lovingly confronted by God's truth. This is simply how he works. He's been doing it for millennia. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. Be mature. Be vigilant. I love that scripture. And Peter says, be sober, for your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. He prowls around. He goes on the hunt for your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses, and he pounces on you. So be sober, be vigilant, be aware of how the enemy works. Don't give the enemy enemy any room to stage manage your feelings. Guard your heart. Feelings lie. The devil's a liar. We need to learn how to challenge our feelings. Number three, your passion for God. Passion is our enthusiasm for God. Our worship is our greatest act of passion. In worship, we declare our victory in Jesus' name. When we worship, the enemy is sent into confusion. His pre- Don't forget, his previous profession was the worship leader of heaven. And our worship of Jesus has, has powerful impact on him. It throws him into confusion. The enemy is not concerned about you being a Christian. What scares the pants off him is you being a passionate, vibrant, fervent, on fire, white-hot, God-praising, audacious Christian. The enemy is happy with your small, self-centered approach to life, but dies a thousand deaths when you fix your eyes on Jesus. The enemy is unruffled by your apathy and your comfortable lifestyle, but becomes agitated by your bold, intentional, and fervent worship in the corporate gathering of the church. Oh, the enemy loves your your self-righteous proclamation of your offenses. He urges you on and inflames your feelings. He laughs when you trot out your litany of grievances when he is deeply, but but he is deeply distressed when you decide to say, well, praise God anyway, hey. I'm gonna keep on going. Ha! A simple response of worship. Now there's something very attractive about being a passionate Christian. There's something powerful about being passionate in corporate worship as well. There's something about it that literally shakes the kingdom of darkness. It's worship where the weight of his glory breaks every demonic chain. It's in our worship where the fresh anointing of God's spirit breaks through the blackness of the night. It's as we worship that that darkness begins to tremble. 
Thankfully, every weekend, we've got the freedom to actually gather together to corporately lift up the name of Jesus and to shout his praises. Why would you miss it? Why would you miss it? There are some people that arrive late. No, I understand. I've had children as well. But there are people that habitually arrive late. There are people that actually make a choice. I don't want to be around for all that singing bit, you know. I want to to hear the the meat of the word. We miss it. We purposely miss it. Shame on you. In Jesus' name. This, This worship that sets us up for victory. Our worship infects our life, our family life, the life of our local church. It's amazing what happens to a local church when the people arrive early, run to the front, burst with expectation, engage in singing, singing, leaning into God, singing loud, and then singing louder again to honor him and to shout his praises publicly and out loud, really loud. It's amazing what happens to a local church when that becomes the powerful habit of its people. Don't say you're shy or have some cultural predilection towards being prim and proper. I come from England. They all say they're prim and proper. Shyness is the first cousin to fear, and God has not given to us the spirit of fear. What he has given us is a spirit of power. I'm amazed week by week by the sound of God's people as they roar their praises unto God. Ha! As they clap, as they, as they dance, and as they shout. Now, I know that some of you don't dance anymore. Okay, 62, my knees are starting to not do the same things. But dance, I can dance, man. I have one of the coolest, grooviest dances anybody's ever seen for a 62-year-old man. And when I begin to dance, the devil trembles and the kingdom of darkness begins to quake. When I begin to shout God's praises, and when I begin to make my moves, man, I'll tell you what, I'm cooler than Theresa May singing reggae. And so do you. You need to be able to do this as well. You need to understand the power of praise. This is not just four songs and then we get on to the, the other stuff. This is what church is all about. Power, praise, worship, seeking God, lifting up his name. In fact, worship is our number one weapon of war when we face the enemy. When those forces of darkness seeing us raise our hand and surrender or dancing with zeal, they become very nervous, edgy. They find it Difficult to continue their assault upon us. When we worship in dramatic, cinematic style, we bring the rightful focus back to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We place Jesus on the big screen of our lives. When we're singing and shouting and stomping our feet, we do great damage to the kingdom of darkness. Remember, it's your voice that makes darkness tremble. It's your voice that demolishes strongholds. It's your voice that silences the internal arguments that influence your mental health. It's your voice that shouts victory even when you're feeling defeated. It's your voice that declares we have overcome. In the scripture it says in Isaiah 61 verse 3, to put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. And this is the, 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 the way the enemy works. He tries to make us feel oppressed, that his presence comes upon us and, and it's a heaviness. But the spirit of praise is the thing that breaks the power. Put on the garment of praise. No demon in hell can stand against you when your focus is Jesus, when your voice is exalting the almighty God, and when you're borne along by the Holy Spirit. The devil hates it when we worship God in the midst of the worship. He is broken in his power against us. It's true. It is true. 
The enemy will seek to blunt your passion by the mundacity and the humdrum of life, but worship fires up our passions. The enemy will blunt your passion by trial and trouble. So you, what do you do? You sing. You sing at the top of your voice, and you sing louder than that. The enemy will make you feel offended, but as we lift our hands in absolute surrender to God, we can begin to once again clap, dance, and shout his praise. The enemy will do everything he can to dis- cause you to be disconnected from the life of the local church. People say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. My response is, and for how long? Don't forsake the gathering. You know, every Sunday morning I wake up, I don't decide I'm going to church. That decision was made 45 years ago. Every Sunday morning, it's the Lord's Day. It's not a family day. It's not a day to sit in bed drinking coffee and eating croissants and reading the Herald Sun. It's a day to be in the house of God. And you're really lucky. You've got a 9 o'clock service. Amen. Good on you. That's great. Passionate. That's good. I'm, I'm excited. We get this opportunity. I'm going to get the band up if you don't mind. The enemy will give you every reason to disconnect from church. And can I talk about the reshuffling of the sheep? couple left our church to go to another church problem was they took themselves with them (laughs) grass is greener where you water it and if the grass does look greener on the other side it's probably astroturf (laughs) come on come on the enemy will do everything he can to cause you to feel disconnected from your local church so don't a couple came to my office one day and they said, oh, we feel like we're just drifting a little bit. I said, well, throw the anchor out. Stop drifting. This is not a day to be drifting. Don't listen to the lies. Open your heart to God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.